Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the CX Cast. This is your host, Jenny Wise. And today we are joined by Mark Johnson, who is the co founder and senior partner of InnoSight, an innovation and strategy consulting firm, and is also the co author of a book that was just published in April, Lead from the Future. So, hi, Mark. Thanks for joining today. Hi, Jenny. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I will say I am thrilled about this conversation because it touches so many topics near and dear to my heart, which is innovation. How do you spark innovation and innovative ideas? How do you carry them through? I'm currently actually thinking about some work on future state journey mapping. And so it felt almost serendipitous to come across your book. And so I'm really excited for this conversation today and being able to share some of the insights and frameworks and best practices that you have in the book with our listeners. Well, I'm thrilled to be part of your show. And it's been an exciting journey to bring this book to fruition. And I mean, I really do think the topics are not only enduring, but timely, you know, just sort of dealing with the crisis we have going on today. Absolutely. Listeners, there is a lot that we could talk about. As you can tell, I'm thrilled to talk to Mark and could probably talk for hours and hours. We are going to break this up into a two-part episode. On this first part, we're going to discuss some of the frameworks and examples and thinking in the book. And then stay tuned for next week's episode, where we'll cover you know, why is innovation so difficult and how can companies get executives on board. But to get started with this week's episode, Mark, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your background, what you've been working on, and what led you to write this book. Sure. Well, you know, it's interesting that my original background, you know, in terms of my training in school, my sort of my passion in school and sort of the things that shaped me experientially was, you know, I went to the U.S. Naval Academy. I was an aerospace engineer, you know, so I sort of loved the engineering side of it. And interestingly, my dad was sort of on the engineering bent and was a pilot in the Marine Corps. My mom was an opera singer, so she was more of the creative side. So long story short is, you know, I had a passion for engineering and just sort of the the specifics of general, of just being a good leader and things like that in the military. When I got out of the military and I went to Harvard Business School and I met Clay Christensen, you know, sort of that really evolved quickly my thinking and my passions around innovation and managing innovation, which I think brought this combination of sort of engineering structured side of things that kind of goes along with, I think, innovation, but also the creative and imaginative side that I think goes with, you know, trying to drive, you know, breakthrough innovation. And that led, long story short, to a collaboration with Clay that passed you know, just being at school to us co-founding Innisight together 20 years ago. And I think that journey coming to Innisight, thinking through what is it that really can drive, you know, starting with Clay's work, disruptive innovation, which on an opportunity side of things means being able to try to create new market growth through this disruptive lens, not just address the threats of disruption. And as we work as a firm to wrestle with, you know, how do you get beyond the core growth to happen, you know, through these kinds of disruptive new growth innovations? 
we found that we struggled over and over with the sponsorship and the alignment and the commitment, especially in the leadership teams, to be able to source, you know, fund and source these efforts and sustain them over a long period of time. And that kind of got us into strategy, but the right kind of strategy, you know, a longer term, more innovation-based, what we call, and we can talk about future back strategy that then led us to thinking about leadership teams as a whole. So the book is really the culmination of 20 years of insight of realizing that we need to bring innovation in with the right kind of vision and strategy work and even leadership behavioral type of efforts around the way teams should work if you want to bring the ability to continually reinvent or create the next version of yourself and to be able to own that future requires bringing these disciplines of leadership strategy and innovation together and in large measure the book is really an effort to try to bring those disciplines together and give the reader an ability to put those pieces together to give the best chance of being able to drive long-term sustainable growth. Great. And you touched on a few things there that I think are so important because a lot of companies right, want to innovate, um, have a desire to innovate, feel pressured to innovate. But innovation often isn't just you know, one person having a great idea, which then everyone gets behind and invests in and it happens and it transforms industries and, and businesses, right? There has to be some degree of structure and buy-in and strategy to really get innovation efforts off the ground. And those two can almost seem in conflict with each other at time, right? Creating something really structured to create something that is completely new. So I, I think it's really interesting and necessary for companies to figure out how to strike that balance. Oh, I couldn't agree more with that, Jenny. You know, I mean, I think that herein lies the challenge of you don't see a lot of companies that are continually transforming in the sense of, you know, creating the true new and different businesses beyond their core business. You know, we mm -hmm. work with clients all the time that talk about business model innovation and even intend to do it, but really fail in the, in the long run to really take and develop anything that goes past their core business model. And I think it's this balance, you know, on the one hand, you want to leverage the core and its people, its assets, its capabilities, and you want to create the right structure for the new and different effort. But yet that new and different effort has to be given enough freedom to be able to develop those new customer value propositions in the right way that things like processes, rules, and norms and metrics might have to develop, you know, the essence of a new business model to make those happen. And I think we can get into this in part two, but I mean, I think herein lies the challenge of creating that proper balance. Mm -hmm. And I think that leads in really well to the book, right? which is called Lead from the Future. Because when you think about how do you start, so many companies do think about the core, right? What is it that we do now? What is our core value proposition? What are the product sets that we have? And how are we going to evolve these? But in the book, you propose a different term and, and a different way of starting these efforts, which you call future back. Can you explain what that means and what that looks like in terms of an approach? Sure. And, and I would just say, you know, it's kind of back to the, the last point about this idea of having to do both. You know, there are plenty of situations where sort of what we would say planning from the present forward makes sense, you know, extending an existing strategy, continuing to drive product development and performance enhancing, sustaining innovations. And 
you know, even process improvement, which is a form of innovation, you know, trying to create efficiencies improvement, all of that lends itself to the circumstance of being able to take what you have today and improve upon it and extend it forward in time. However, there are things that don't necessarily follow that straight line path that are on a nonlinear trajectory or future, you know, such as what a disruptive innovation can do to you, you know, the need to potentially have to transform all or part of your business, the desire to create, as we talked about beyond the core growth, you know, these market creating innovations, you know, where we're competing against, we call it non-consumption, you know, you're trying to create a new market and that has to utilize a new business model. Those are the kinds of things that if we follow the traditional way of planning are not going to get us to the answer and to the organization we need to make it happen. Those need both a different way of thinking and a way of planning that we call future back, which essentially the thinking piece of it is very similar to design thinking. It's being able to have a clean sheet, let go of the present past point of view about what could be and what should be as opposed to the way things are, you know, based on inputs, you know, like key trends, thinking about how technologies can converge and being able to open up the mind to think in this systems level clean sheet kind of way and be able to develop it and that form of thinking. And that helps, by the way, when you move towards a longer term horizon. That's one part of future back is the thinking. The other part of future back is literally as it sounds, it's being able to develop whether we're talking about an enterprise view or a major new kind of breakthrough opportunity, you know, putting yourself out five, seven years or so and looking at what the environment looks like, the implications of it, and then how does your opportunity or your enterprise literally look in terms of, again, this systems level view, and then taking that and walking that back from the future, literally walking it back to a set of steps as to what do you need to get done, say, in 2028 to achieve what you want to accomplish in 2030, and what do you need in 2026 to get in 2028, and so forth, until you bring that back to what does it mean for today in terms of the plant the seed, develop your choices in terms of innovation and growth initiatives, both in terms of what is established in the future, but also what you're trying to create in a whole and different way. And so that's the concept is really both the thinking and the process to enable us to not get too anchored on the way things are today and then just extend that out indefinitely when sometimes we need a step change or a, you know, a transformative function to get to where we're really going to be best positioned for the future environment. So you mentioned a few things there that I think would just be interesting to go a tick deeper on. Sure. Right, that, that you don't want to be too anchored in the current state. Right. So you need to create this blank slate, sort of future state, but that requires such a, a shift in, in mindset. And you mentioned yep. a horizon. So I wonder, is then some of the advice to, you know, get these minds in a room and say, hey, we're forgetting who our company is today and we're going to think about what might 10 years from now look like and then back into that with, you know, what will our value be in 10 years? And therefore, how might we need to change our business or our products? Or is there sort of a different process to take to create that blank slate future opportunity? Yeah, and I would say just like so many things, you know, in, in this work, I look at it as there's a lot of art here as much as science. So I wouldn't want to take anything too far, which means, you know, you wouldn't want to disregard 
everything about the company and its values and it, you know, maybe even mm -hmm. sort of the kernels of its capability or, or what its purpose is. You wouldn't want to do all that. But what you don't want to do is we call it the present forward fallacy is, you know, this idea that you can just take an existing business and extend it out in time indefinitely by, you know, continuously making improvements to it. So we want to get away from that for the moment and look out into a future time horizon. And we actually prescribe coming up with that time horizon, which it gets past the traditional planning and forecasting horizon. So you actually get less noise. You can be more thoughtful of developing a point of view about how the world might change, the how it, it could work in the future. And so you want to just be able to do that to start without talking a lot about the way things work today, because that could influence, you know, you, you sort of with those orthodoxies to say, well, that's kind of the way it's going to work in the future. And that could be a bad assumption. So you just want to kind of, again, have this balance of pretty much taking the business models the way they work today and setting them aside for a moment to go in the future with some of your key capabilities and, and values and purpose and begin to talk about the way things could be and the implications of that in terms of converging trends and points of potential inflection. And then think about what are those implications to the core business? So you sort of have that piece that I guess sort of extends out, but you're kind of doing it again from the future back and saying, this is what our core could face in the future. And this is how it could get commoditized. How could we reinvent it? As well as what else do we need to continue to drive our growth in terms of growth gaps and new business opportunities? And so that time horizon, I think, is very important to get to a place that stretches your thinking and gets you sort of out of the past of the orthodoxies of the way things work here in the next few years, but not too far out that it's utterly unrelatable and I think that's the same thing here, which is let go as much as you can, but don't let go of everything because that also won't be relatable. Right. And then you might come up with some future future vision or value proposition that just doesn't at all have to do with what, what the company is, right? Or the value that they, they serve in customer lives. Exactly. So back to the operative word, and I think this conversation is this balance, you know, but I would say absent doing this, we're way skewed to the other way, which is to depend on the way things work today and extend it out. And I think with the nature of disruption and knowledge transfer and all the things that are happening, that's a very dangerous assumption to be exclusively spending all our time in a present forward kind of way. Mm -hmm. And so you mentioned how to start this, right? So begin to look at inflection and tipping points and what might happen, maybe technology and other forces. Um, and you tapped a little bit into, you know, design thinking and how there are some other frameworks out there that complement these methods. Is there a framework in the book that sort of walks through steps in a similar way that design thinking walks through steps to allow companies to work through this strategy? Absolutely. I mean, in fact, the first two chapters are more about language setting. You know, what does it mean to be present forward minded? Because again, 80 to 90 percent of your time is going to be there. And then the next chapter is about thinking from the future back and what does that really mean? And not only what we talked about in terms of clean sheet thinking and things that I think are similar design thinking, but also the learning process, which it's not an operate and execute kind of process. It's more of an explore, envision, discover. But then we move into literally chapter by chapter, you know, how do you create and develop an inspiring vision? You know, how do you convert that to a strategy that brings it back to today? 
And then actually, how do you even program it and implement it? And, you know, just to give a super quick sample, back to your point about how would you literally go through this, you know, we lay out the vision development as the very first step that has three steps within it. You know, first, how can you really target the right time horizon? That's an important piece as a leadership team or an innovation team to figure out what are the jobs to be done or the consumer types of needs that are going to be in the future based on trends and, you know, these points of inflection. And then take that view of the world and the assumptions related to that environment and define what are the implications for the future? Is the business going to continue to go up the same way? Are there going to be major gaps in our growth? Do we face a real disruption? Or is there just some real opportunity that if we don't start thinking about now, we could miss out that could really come to bear here in five or seven years from now? And then envision what your future state is as the third step that comprises, if it's an enterprise uh, future back, what's your core business going to look like and how does it contribute to the future? How do you think about adjacencies and new growth efforts? And again, think about it in terms of an aspiration and purpose for the future attached to it. And then finally, how do you convert that into a narrative? Because the other important piece of a future back effort is this vision development, which should be filled with inspiration and hope and purpose for the organization. And we talk about it in this prescription as a lot more than just a half day, you know, say HR exercise to come up with a vision statement. This is a full narrative to be able to prescribe what could be and how this world unfolds and how you fit in it. And I think that gives a lot of power to the organization, especially a time like of crisis. It becomes the North Star that everybody's aiming for to not get weighed down by all the challenges of today and the next 12 months. So you mentioned, right, what's the horizon? What jobs might the customer you know, need to be doing? There are jobs to be done. And then also the implications for the business, which I think are so important because then it also drives home like we aren't just doing this to do it, right? We're doing right. this because there's a competitive threat or we may be phased out or we have a huge opportunity. So that helps really bring it back to the business, I think. Absolutely. One other thing, you know, that to this point that it's as much art of science, you made me think of another point, Jenny, which is if nothing else, you know, I, I just make the argument to the audience that if you spend time in this future, five years out, and you have the right kind of conversation, this what we call a strategic dialogue, and you really can build this foresight, we can guarantee that you're going to come out with some insights that you wouldn't have got any other way that have implications for how you need to lead and manage today. So it's a messy process. And you know we definitely have a way you can think about the steps. But some of this is just, you said, what do you do? You get your leadership team to carve out the time and you spend time in that future talking about it. And that brings a lot of power in and of itself because it develops a point of view. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned this narrative, which I think is really important to spend time on and also might raise some questions. I know mm -hmm. when we talk to companies, right, they have a brand vision, right? They have a company vision. We suggest that they also have a customer experience vision. Is the idea behind this future narrative that there should also be a innovation vision? Or is it more creating a scenario of a future state that you can sort of ground efforts in? Because can you talk a little bit more about what this narrative is and how it may compete with and or complement or be fundamentally different than these other visions companies may have? 
Well, boy, that's a great question, you know, because one of the main example of future back that we share is really, you know, the sort of full up developing of an enterprise vision and strategy, you know, how do you develop a transformative kind of view? And the example we use is Janssen, the pharmaceutical division of Johnson & Johnson, their vision of a world without disease. So that became, for the R&D group, and I think for Janssen as a whole, that became a piece for Janssen, but not the whole thing. But it was needed because that was the transformative growth effort that that was, the, if you will, the beyond the core effort. It wasn't specific to the core, but it was beyond the core of how could Janssen not only develop therapeutics, but how could it actually intercept and prevent disease? And as you could imagine, that's pretty disruptive for a therapeutics pharmaceutical company. And they needed this vision to be able to align people broadly, but also specifically that are working within this idea of world without disease to where are they trying to head? So I think it's the narrative is what creates the inspiration, the hope, the purpose for driving an enterprise or for driving a breakthrough growth effort. And so I would look at it as, uh, yeah, and I mean, it could be specific to an innovation team, or if it's big enough, like an, an enterprise needs to fully transform, including in the core, it could be an entire enterprise vision. But it needs to have those components of what's the future environment look like? How is the world going to work? Talk about the implications of that. And then what does the organization or that innovation effort aspire to do, you know, to be able to achieve an objective? And then, you know, to some degree, how it's going to get there. To me, that's what gives the ability to kind of get past all of the noise of the here and now and allow an organization to commit, whether that's resources for a whole enterprise transformation or resources to really try to move and sustain a breakthrough innovation effort. So I guess the long-winded answer is I think it depends, but vision has a commonality around trying to bribe that hope and inspiration and commitment for the long term. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. And so... So like, you know, what it does is it creates something tangible, mm -hmm. <laughs> sort of aspiration that is tangible and explained and grounded in the strategic work that has been done, which explained why this may be the state and why it matters. So it gives a North Star to that team or the entire company, depending on yeah. the scope of this effort here. Absolutely. Great. So for companies interested in pursuing this and doing this type of future back innovation and strategy work, how do they think about getting started? Yeah, and I would say the importance of teams coming together and understanding that this is a team-based process and that you want to really try to work as a team to develop this point of view. The process is messy. It's iterative. You want to diverge before you converge. You're focused more on assumptions and facts and data because you're looking out five to seven years. So you want to have the right kind of structure for the learning process, which is, again, why you have to kind of carve out the time, even if it's 10% of the time, to be more in this design thinking, explore, and vision discover kind of way as it relates to vision and strategy so that you can get alignment on what are those core assumptions and then what you do about it in terms of how you envision literally the future state for the major breakthrough opportunity or for the enterprise as a whole. So thinking about carving out the time and making sure you sort of make the right assumptions or are challenging the right assumptions, who should be in the room or involved in this process? Well, I think ultimately 
everybody that is part of a leadership team or a, a specific innovation team, or maybe both, depending on what you're trying to accomplish, should be involved in not just being given the answer, but being moved along the process, but specific to actually structuring some conversations or dialogues. I think that also requires some thinking through, but for sure you want those that are responsible for the more exploratory discovery kinds of efforts that would be around marketing and strategy would be even good to have. And of course, the, the chief executive officer can't, she or she can't really delegate this. They have too much ownership for being able to commit the resources with their team that they need to be involved. Often because it is about resources of financial resources, the chief financial officer I think sometimes those that are more in the present forward kind of delivery programmatic world, like say the head of quality, might not have to be in those strategic dialogues that may happen, you know, depending on the program, you know, once every couple months or however you structure it, but they do need to also be brought along. So you definitely can have a subset for the group, but having a way to communicate and move everybody along even if they're not active to participants in this future back and in this longer range planning, they still need to be bought in just like the rest of the organization at some point would as well. Right. And I think that leads very well into part two. So, so listeners, stay tuned for next week episode where we will continue the conversation and talk about why actually innovating and getting your company to innovate can be so difficult. And what are some tips that companies can use to get their executives on board? So Mark, thank you so much for joining this week's episode. For those of you listening, if you want to know more about what is in the book and this future back process, the book is called Lead from the Future. And thank you so much and stay tuned next week for part two. 